0: Welcome to Female Political Strategy. Female first, female forward, politically non-binary. I'm Ro.
1: And I'm Lilith. And I'm Elle.
0: Today's guest is Rosa Page, a nurse researcher with over 30 years of experience and founder of an advocacy group called Black Femicide U.S., which tracks missing and murdered Black women. Rosa, welcome to the podcast. Could you tell us more about your background and how you got started with Black Femicide U.S.?
2: Oh, thank you for having me. How I got started with my advocacy work is, as you stated, I'm a nurse of over 30 years. During my career, anecdotally, I noticed that a lot of my black women and girls, when they would come in as patients, a lot of times we do a screening. And a lot of them were either victims of violence or someone close to them was a victim of violence who may have been murdered. And I noticed that this was just, it was just common place with a lot of my patients. As time went on, you know, this was just something that kept in the back of my head. We can fast forward to 2015. In 2015, the FBI stated that across the board in the United States, a woman was being murdered every 19 hours. Now, taking into consideration, you know, as I said anecdotally, what I had noticed within the Black community, I thought that that number was really off. So I started independently doing my own research and collecting the data. Instantly, I found out that it was cut off by nine hours within the uh, Black community. A woman or girl was being murdered, in fact, every 10 hours in, back in 2015.
0: So uh, one question about that. Are Black femicides underreported? Do you think that 19 hours is not including some of the murders that are coming from maybe women from low-income backgrounds who are often you know, just not going to the police system?
2: It could be that, but when we're talking about murder rates, let me establish this. Each jurisdiction, they don't necessarily have to report their numbers to the FBI. So you're not really getting an accurate account if, say, we're talking about a county or city that wants to keep a good public image. They may not release those numbers, and that has nothing to do with Black or white or or whatnot. A lot of times, jurisdictions do not report a lot of things again because it's an image issue. So we have to take that into account, and then we have to also understand that the United States does not recognize femicide. They would rather discount the murder of a woman or girl as simple homicide, or something related to domestic violence. So even when we're talking about communities outside of the Black community, every 19 hours is still not representative of the real account of women being murdered in the United States. Wow. That's gut-wrenching. Yes. Yes. So when I started doing the data and the research independently, I... um, Noticed that it was off by nine hours within the black community. So uh, again, I just kept pushing on. This was something, you know, I'm doing on my own and in, in my spare time. Any given moment, I started collecting the data. Fast forward from 2015 to 2020, and October of 2020 is when I noticed every six hours. A black woman or girl was being murdered in the black community. I felt that I could no longer keep this information to myself. Now, I don't have anyone who backs me financially. I don't get any loans or grants or anything to do this. So I was doing this because I definitely care about black women and girls. So in October of 2020, myself, And two women who also were working with me at the time, we started pushing the hashtag of every six hours. So that was in October of 2020. So we really started going heavy on social media with every six hours, every six hours. In September of 2021, we had a march in Atlanta, which was the, uh, first March of its kind, where we were addressing the murders of black women and girls. Uh, subsequently, after that march, three days after the march, the FBI released their numbers and it indeed coincided with what I had known almost a year prior in October, that a black woman or girl was being murdered every six hours. Understand, I was getting a lot of pushback. People were coming at me fast and furious saying that that was propaganda, that I was definitely not giving the right information. I recorded 1,169 murders for that year of 2020. The FBI actually said it was 1,440. So they actually recorded 271 more murders than what I recorded. But I feel we did damn good because the FBI compared to myself and two other women, come on now, we came pretty close. Just a quick question for you. Um, Who was coming for you and who attacked your statements? Okay. Um, A lot of pushback was coming from the Black community. The pushback primarily from black men, because again, it's an image issue for them and black women, I call them handmaidens, but some people call them something a little bit more harsh than what I do, but I specifically call them handmaidens. Handmaidens, we know the handmaid's tale, (laughs) but we have a lot of Aunt Lydia's in the black community and we have a lot of Aunt Lydia's in general across the communities no matter what race or color or whatever you are. There are women who hold up the patriarchy. I feel that they are the scaffolding that holds patriarchy up and what they do is they also will say that this is wrong, I'm trying to tear down the image of the black man. I'm a feminist. I hate black men. I mean, just all of these things. So, you know, I have to stay strong and steadfast because I know that this mission is worth it. There are too many women and girls within the black community who are being harmed and murdered. And I cannot worry about optics.
0: Can you describe your research methods a little bit? Because you said you were only a couple hundred off from the FBI. So how are you collecting data?
2: I collected the good old fashioned way. I do Google searches. I have a lot of news alerts to different news uh, medias. I get stories from people who will let me know what's going on in their area. I get stories from family members who will say, you know, my loved one, my friend, you know, a co-worker was murdered and nobody's talking about it. So, I mean, I get it just by doing hours and hours and hours of, uh, of research,
0: scouring what's publicly available.
2: Yeah, what's publicly available.
0: Yeah, that's that's quite remarkable, and that's I mean that leads credence to the discussion that it's probably underreported the amount of femicide that's actually happening because if you're only a, if you're so close to the FBI numbers and you're only looking at publicly reported accounts, it makes you wonder how many things. How many women were murdered that weren't publicly recorded, that wasn't publicized in news media? Yes. And that was swept under the rug. And then also you have women that exist in the margins of society that just kind of disappear. Yes. And no one really knows. So, yeah, that's, um, that's really something.
2: You just have to be very, very diligent, very thorough, and you have to be dedicated. And that's something that I am. I'm at a, a place in my career where I'm no longer a nurse like on the floor where I'm, uh, you know, at the bedside. So even when I'm at work, I am able to work while I'm at work (laughs) with uh, what I'm doing. So when I say that I'm actually doing this work around the clock with every waking hour, that's literally what I mean.
1: What do you hope to happen? I don't know. Elle, did you have a question? No, I was just impressed. Um, I just wanted to add that I collect data for a living and the fact that this is a passion project of yours and, you know, the good that you're doing for society is just, that's incredible. So thank you for that. In addition to your day job. Oh, you're welcome. What are you hoping will happen from collecting
0: this data? Like, what is your best case scenario? Do you want to be able to provide this as some kind of public awareness for media? What's your, uh, what's your ultimate goal?
2: Um, Not so much as public awareness through the media, I actually want legislation to change. I would like for discussions to be had regarding a lot of the bail reform laws that are in effect. During my research, I have found that a lot of, I won't say an overwhelming majority, but it's very common for a woman or girl to be murdered by someone who's out on bail for harming her previously. Wow. Do you have
1: any statistics on
2: that by any chance? Or even rough estimates? Uh, right now, I'm actually in the midst of doing those numbers from last year to this year. But I don't want to say, I don't even want to throw a number out there, but it's very common. I would say with it, during a month, at least six to 10 women are murdered by men who have been out on bail. That's <sighs> I do just want to confirm sort of
3: anecdotally um that yeah what you're describing is a very common scenario. This is actually the reason why a lot of women are afraid to report domestic abusers because they're like okay I report him to the police uh you know he gets out on bail and then could come and kill me kind of thing. So yes, I totally agree we need to have more we need to have reforms to the laws on bail
2: so that violent
3: abusers and stalkers and so on can't get out on bail?
2: Yes, because the law enforcement approach is still very, I'm just going to use the word, caveman-ish. They will tell women, you can go on my page anytime and you'll see some of the discussions under the threads where women will say, I also tried to uh, get a restraining order against my abuser. And the police refuse to give me one. They refuse to take a report. In fact, they'll say, oh, well, you're married. You guys need to just work things out. So we're still working within a system that is still antiquated in its approach towards violence against women. To tell a woman that she should should be working it out with her abuser, whether she's married to him or not is dangerous thinking and rhetoric. And yes, that is why so many women just choose to stay silent. They feel helpless helpless, and they feel like they're damned to a situation and they have to try to stay in it, whether it's for financial reasons, because of the children or whatnot. So when you're getting these, these messages from law enforcement and judges and, and different people in authority who could actually affect change that, you know, you need to work things out, it's dangerous. So yes, that's why we have a lot of women who just refuse to report.
0: What's been your experience with media, if you've had any type of interaction with the media? Because I know this past summer, there was some discussion about, quote unquote, missing white girl syndrome, and that the media has an overfocus on certain demographics of women who experience femicide versus Black femicide, and that a lot of times Black women, especially, and and also other communities, they're not getting the kind of media coverage needed to help solve some of these cases or, or pressure the police to dedicate resources To investigating their crimes. Have you
2: had any experience with that? The media still does not really report on missing Black women and girls, murdered Black women and girls, the way they would a non-Black woman or girl. Um, My experience with the media is very limited. The media does not really want to talk about this. Now, as of late, I have had some contact with the media. Zerlina Maxwell, I hope that I can't remember her name, her last name, but she is an MSNBC journalist. I did an interview with her. I actually did an interview with the Washington Post. I did an interview with uh, my local news media. But again, we're talking about, you know, that's three major outlets, but... You know, it's still very limited. Nobody really wants to talk about this issue. When we did the Twitter space
3: in December, you mentioned that you did an interview with a news outlet and that it wasn't aired because they thought that it would get too much blowback. Yes,
2: that was an outlet out of California.
3: Mm. And I just wanted to say that, we we did an interview recently with an Iranian uh, women's rights activist, uh, Shagaya Neruzi, and she was telling us that she's facing a similar problem. Mm. You know, she's talking about she speaks out against compulsory hijab, um, that's her forte, uh, her activist forte. And she says she has a hard time getting coverage in the West because they're like, oh, you know, if you speak out on this, it's going to spread Islamophobia and so on. So what you said about news media doesn't want to talk about this because they're afraid it's going to spread racism. I kind of wanted to talk a bit about how there's this sort of like, uh, in the desire to not offend anybody, you know, mainstream liberal media, they end up suppressing these sorts of stories about women's the dangers that women face because they're afraid of offending people?
2: I think that, again, it's very tragic that people or news media outlets, because that's who we're talking about. I, I believe it's very tragic that news media outlets are more concerned about public relations image issue as opposed to the actual violence that a victim has sustained. you know what's more important getting the stories out there, talking about the violence uh, that black women or girls are facing within their communities or being um, like politically correct <laughs> afraid of being af- yeah or be- or just being afraid that they may offend someone. I mean, the truth is the truth. The truth does not need anything other than facts. You know, if people are upset about the facts, then that says that there's another issue within them. So we're more concerned about the perpetrators than the victims. And that, looks, that, that is where we actually are within our community.
0: It seems like some of that, too, is the discussions around race have been really, really complicated as of late. And the problem is, is if you start to talk about the specific ways in which misogyny manifests itself in different types of communities, then people can accuse you of being racist. Right. Because the idea that there are cultural nuances to misogyny is almost akin to saying that. Oh, these people are backwards, or these people are this way, right? And so sometimes I think there's a reluctance to talk about it because you don't want to, you don't want to come across like you're broad brushing everybody in a certain community and saying that they're um, a part of said ignorance. But unfortunately, we do have such things as cultural trends that are community specific. Misogyny is universal, but it can manifest itself in really odd ways um, across different communities.
2: Well, it's important when you're having these discussions to include the people that you're discussing. And I understand that, you know, allies are important, you know, and we do need allies, but it would be better to have a Black woman at the discussion so that not only is the Black woman giving and, you know, letting you know what's really going on within the community, but... You know, a lot of times we can say, hey, you know, that's kind of culturally insensitive or what you're saying just seems to be a little, you know, racist. So I do understand why people kind of tiptoe around the subject because they may not know a black woman that they can talk to to talk about the issue, even though they may actually be concerned and want to do something, you know, it's still good to have a voice from the community so that that discussion can be had in a genuine way.
0: Yeah, I think that piece is so, so important. And that's why we've been really adamant of trying to open up our platform to a variety of women and a variety of experiences, because so often, especially from these journalists that come into these communities, they're outsiders, right? They don't allow people to fully express and tell their story in the way that they need to, it often misses a lot of cultural nuance. And that's a part of some of our complaints with media as well, is that they have all these really bright ideas and they'll talk about a problem, but they have so little understanding of the people within it that sometimes it comes across very patronizing or uh, ineffective. It's fine to be a facilitator, but so often I feel like it just becomes like we're going to create a narrative regardless of what the people in this community are actually struggling with.
2: Well, one of the allies that I have uh, who actually does femicide research, she does, you know, hers is, you know, more spaced open than I am. You know, I focus on the black community. But Dawn Wilcox, uh, she actually is the uh, founder of Women Count USA, and she's someone that I, I love her. She's a nurse like myself. She's from Texas, and she is someone, if there was not a black woman on, in on the discussion when we're talking about femicide here in America, she's someone that I would trust to be able to talk about it. I know she probably would say, oh no, Rosa, but you know there are some allies who are actually out here doing the work, who actually understand those nuances that you mentioned. I wanted
3: to point out when we did our again, when we did our Twitter space, we allowed men to speak, you know, a lot of people criticized us for letting men speak, but I actually think it was really educational. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm sorry I missed that part. <laughs> I came in later after you guys had already kicked all the men out.
3: Yeah, yeah. So uh, unfortunately, yeah, Roe couldn't be there for the first half of the Twitter space. And there were so many good moments. Um, but yeah, like so it, it was really great to have all these stupid men walking in while being like, oh, well, what about this or what about that? And I found it very bizarre how... Uh, so many, including some women, were attacking Rosa for being anti-Black. And these are all people that had, like, Black Lives Matter in their bio. And Rosa came in with, like, the single greatest moment in the entire space. She's like, why has nobody said so far that murdering Black women is anti-Black? Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Or, like, why has no one said that Black femicide is anti-Black? You know? That was the mic drop, <laughs> mic drop moment of the whole
2: space. <laughs> yeah they they never want to acknowledge that that's anti-black murdering black women and girls is so anti-black but me speaking on the subject goodness me clutch my pearls how dare i yeah like there's one girl who waltz in
3: she's like well actually um i think black people can also spread anti-blackness and that was right before you said that i was like oh my gosh that's just (laughs) (laughs) like what Yeah, and the sad irony is all these people have Black Lives Matter in their bio, and it's like, they should just say Black Male Lives Matter, right? Because they don't really seem to give a shit about, like, women don't seem to be included in that.
2: Yes, and that's an issue. That's why I specifically say about uh, handmaidens. The women that you're speaking on, those are what I would consider handmaidens. They're so focused on black men and racism and, you know, blah, 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 white supremacy, that that matters more than anything. I am not discounting that systemic racism exists. I understand that. But black femicide, is a real thing as well. And it's happening primarily by those within our own community. To discount that is just, it just blows my mind. Yeah, I wanted to
1: comment on that. A lot of people, that are pushing the BLM movement, almost do it in a way to kind of make themselves feel better about it. It it doesn't seem to be for their actual genuine concern because you'd realize the B in BLM is a lot more complex than, you know, the single instances that are on the media. So once it gets too complex, that's when people start, you know, flashing out. So I'm not surprised that you dealt with that, sadly.
3: It's all about empty virtue signaling. They don't actually want to create cultural change, like what Rosa wants to do. I liked your point about wanting to create cultural change. I'm 100% behind that. I didn't
1: want to say the virtue signaling word. That's what I was avoiding.
0: <laughs> I mean, call it what it is. You know, this is the meanest female only, well, it's one of the meanest podcasts because of that, we, say, we say the thing. Yeah. We say the thing. Um, so I guess I kind of wanted to expand upon your experience of black lives matter, if any, and then also get your opinion on some of the proposed solutions. And I know we briefly talked about it in the Twitter space, about people trying to go into the abolish the police narrative or, uh, Shift towards community policing. So, um, to break that down, what was your experience with Black Lives Matter? Have you had any experience with Black Lives Matter? And then, what's your opinion on some of the proposed solutions? Well,
2: um, I have had. <laughs> um, I can
3: already tell you're getting yourself warmed up, and I'm, I'm, you know, bracing myself for it. Rubber hair salivating, waiting for the answer.
2: I have had some pushback from local. Black Lives Matter organizations, uh, specifically with the Louisville, you know, chapter. I don't know what they call themselves. When we were when the issue with Breonna Taylor occurred, I actually was one of the first people to break that story, and you know, everything is timestamped. So I broke that story, and it was quiet. I was like, "Hey, you know, a uh, young woman was killed." by the police in her apartment. You know, there seems to be some negligence that went on with this. You know, here are the facts. Story was quiet. You know, a few people who frequent the page might have shared it and whatnot. So, you know, a few months go by and then we hear about, and I, I try not to mention other people's names, but we have the case with George Floyd and the the young man who was killed by the father and son, I can't remember. Ahmad Aubrey, I think was the same. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So suddenly those issues were front and center. They were on a continuous news cycle. And then Brianna Taylor's name gets thrown in like parsley. And I'm thinking, we broke the story about Brianna Taylor. We were trying to push this story out there for the longest, and now she's just added as an afterthought, there are other popular social media social justice warriors, and I will not mention their name. They took the story and actually used some of my reporting on their social media. And it kind of blew up on their social media, although they were stealing my content. And uh, one of the (laughs) women who work with me, she's a spitfire. She told the BLM chapter out in Louisville, you know, how they were doing, that they were wrong. They didn't even talk about Breonna Taylor. And they got into such a horrible role that, I had to end up blocking them from my page. Honestly, queen for blocking them. Block and delete. Amen. (laughs) Yes. I am the kind of person, I'm not going to argue with you about the lives of black women and girls. I'm not going to do it. I will block you and keep moving as though it never happened. But they were so upset. They were sending me messages and they were, uh, uh, making comments until I actually had to block them from all of the social media accounts. And that was the uh, chapter out of Louisville. That's so bizarre. Like, you think you're both working towards the same goal, right? I I would have thought. You'd think, right? I thought the same thing. We're trying to bring humanity to people, Black women and girls who have been murdered, Breonna Taylor, you know, she had been murdered by law enforcement, just as Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, and, you know, those who died before them. But when we want to bring up the fact that a black woman had been murdered, well, you're just trying to, what was it? You're you're just trying to uh, create division. Yes, create the. I was. I'm trying to create division. I'm being deflective. I mean, just all the words of you want to use where people are just trying to gaslight you. So I was like, you know what, block. So I remember
0: early on in the early Black Lives Matter days, that was also still a problem, and it was so bad that there was a hashtag called hashtag say her name. Do you remember that at all? Yes. Where it was once again, I think it I think it followed a couple of high profile crimes of uh black men being murdered or black boys, uh, including I think um Tamir Rice as well as Trayvon Martin. And then there were some other black women who were murdered or uh, died in police custody as it were (laughs) Um, under suspicious circumstances Yes, who were not given the same platform, who were not being highlighted by the news media 24 seven and a lot of black women were starting to feel very, very frustrated. And in addition to that, some of the black men who were part of this police violence were let's say not stellar members of the community. Some of like, I think, um, There was one guy, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but there was one guy who had written some very anti-black, anti-black woman messages on Twitter.
2: Yes. I know exactly who you're talking about.
0: And then there was another gentleman who I think was convicted of statutory rape. And I take the position, I don't and under any circumstances think the police need to be judge, jury, and executioner. But like, let's not make heroes out of all these men, right? Some of these guys were you know, were actively antagonistic or abusive towards Black women.
2: Yeah. And they were not pillars of the community. And herein lies the hypocrisy. Okay. In the Black community, Black men can be vindicated no matter what they do. Black women, on the other hand, will be demonized. They will be victim blamed. And I don't care if she stole a candy bar when she was four years old, they're going to bring it up. So this is the issue that black women started seeing that we are not looked at in the same light within our community. So when Black Lives Matter started flourishing and publicizing all of these law enforcement involved killings, Black women were like, well, what about us? You know, Sandra Bland, there were Black women in the community who blamed her for her own death and Black men who were saying, well, if she had not have ran her mouth, she probably would not have been murdered. There were just a lot of things that you can just imagine that they were saying about her and other black women who had been killed by law enforcement. I remember there was a woman, a grandmother in Georgia. She wasn't murdered by the police, but she was roughed up, horrifically thrown to the cement and just, just treated in an inhumane way. And it was the same thing. She shouldn't have been running her mouth. So Black women started to see the hypocrisy and the disconnect between who is considered a victim within our communities.
0: Yeah, I do remember Brianna being used as an example. They're saying, well, this is why you don't date thugs. And this is because Black women date thugs. And that's why she deserved apparently to be shot while she was asleep in her home by the police, which is ridiculous.
2: Yes, they still blamed her for her own murder. You touched on earlier that you
1: wanted to see some reforms at the legislative level, like bail reform, which I completely couldn't agree more. Do you think culturally fathers and the men in our community could be having more of an influence to change the narrative around black femicide and how we talk about it, address it and even, you know, try to even solve the problem in the first
2: place? Yes. And actually, I am receiving... (laughs) backlash from a certain sector of Black women in the community regarding this issue. Oh, no. I truly believe that it's going to have to take a community effort, not just the women. It's going to take the community as a collective to start addressing this issue. Okay, but there are certain women within the black community, there's a certain sector and they won't they don't consider themselves a part of the black community, you know, because they date out. And I am all for women dating whomever they want. I don't care as long as you're happy healthy and sane that is my mantra i do not give dating advice i don't care who you marry that's not my issue i specifically research homicide those other issues who someone should date that's i don't concern myself with that because every woman has the autonomy to be with who she wants. In fact, I feel it's a human right to be with who you want, no matter whether you're a man or a woman. Date who you want, date, and do what makes you happy. But there is a small sector within the black community, again, of women who feel that I should not say black men need to be a part of this. Black men are a part of the community. Most black women are going to stay within their community. They're going to date and marry within their community. And they're, you know, they're just going to be a part of the black community. That's reality. And that's reality for every race of woman. Most women will date within their racial uh, racial lines, their religious lines. That's just a fact of life so knowing that why why would somebody be against me saying as a collective the community needs to come together to address this issue
1: i think to address what you're saying and this is just L speaking i'm not speaking for behalf of the community i'm not african-american but i'm black um what i think happens is when you bring up a problem where like the BLM narrative, you bring up the problem, you have an other to blame, right? Like as the black community could say, they, the white police officers or racist police officers, the racist justice system that's white outside of us is the problem. And then once the problem looks like you and is a familiar face, now it feels like almost cultural suicide where you take down your own, then, you know, it, it becomes too close to home where you have to wonder, am I also somewhat the problem too? So I think... The discomfort that comes with entertaining that thought maybe is what's pushing that away. That's just my thought. What are your, what are you? Oh, sorry. I just,
3: I just wanted to jump in. I'm so glad Elle, that you brought up othering because Rosa, what you've been saying so far about the hate that you've been getting from your own community about this is really activating my pattern recognition mode because. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm white and I'm ashamed to say a lot of my family members are racist and there's this weird like uh, racial sort of boogeymanning and othering where, and by the way, like pretty much all most or not all of the male violence I've experienced over the course of my lifetime has been from white men. And so I find it very weird when white men do this like, oh, uh, it's the uh, Middle Eastern immigrants who are going to gang rape you or, oh, it's the big, scary black and brown people who are going to, you know, be violent towards you. And I'm looking at these guys knowing like, you motherfucker. I know that you, you, you <laughs> Uncle Jim, you literally beat your wife, okay? Like, what are you doing complaining about Native people? Like, you literally beat your wife. Why are you pretending like you're
2: not the problem, right? So, um, and I am so glad you brought that up because I, I tried to explain this to all women. I personally, I don't put any man on a pedestal. I feel that all men present a threat. Say it.
1: (laughs) Say it again, please. Can you just say that slowly, louder and prouder? Say it again for the people in the back. All these X, Y, having people fugazi, man. Yes.
2: (laughs) I do not put any man on a pedestal, period. I tell people from the jump, I am a sovereign woman. I deal with who I want on my terms. I feel that all men present a threat for the women, the black women who date out, who feel that they'll go to, you know, let's say the white man. If they talk to white women, white women will tell you it's white men who are kicking our asses. And it's the same across the board. So I just don't get the I just don't get this thing that some people have that they'll go to some other group and find this utopia
3: no it's because men are like shitty magicians they'll go like it's like they'll use distraction and deflection be like oh look over there don't look at what i'm doing over here kind of thing you know sleight of hand (laughs) sleight of hand yeah it's like this this is the thing like black men and white men do this weird sleight of hand where they blame the other races men for male violence when in fact they themselves are responsible for doing most of the male violence towards the women of their own race yes
1: wait wait can we expand that to include all men because immigrant men do this too yeah all races of men do this exactly all men yes It's the Y
2: chromosome that's <laughs> it, the problem,
1: you know,
3: because they don't want to admit that they're the problem because
2: they don't want to change. No, they will never admit it.
3: They want to admit it. And they double down
0: on certain specific cultural stereotypes as if there's not like ever present undercurrent of male violence under all of them. Right. So they might say, like, well, look at this. Look at these statistics here. These people are, believe this, but then ignore all of the negative things about their own group, right? So sometimes it can take, like I said, misogyny is is really great at shape shifting, right? (laughs) Like, so it it could be child brides in one culture and it could be, like, massive amounts of... Like FGM. FGM in another culture. It could be, like, massive amounts of uh, child pornography in another culture. It could be massive amounts of domestic violence. So, like, there's different ways in which the same misogyny, like, morphs itself into different shapes, but it's the same thing. Whereas they feel like, oh, at least we're not at, we're, you know, we don't have as much of this type of violence, so then therefore our culture is better. But that's just not true. And you start to look at like, no, you're, you're all the way in this type of violence over here. So you just have to not let them kind of like uh, only point out the bad of other communities and not do any type of internal reflection.
2: Right. I mean, like I say, I don't put any men, any group of men on a pedestal because, as I said, doing this work and seeing what women are going through, across the board in the U.S. and globally, all of them present a threat. You're not going to tell the women in in the Mexican border towns where women are being slaughtered and buried some other woman who comes over and says, Oh, well, Mexican men are great. And the Mexican women are saying... They're killing us down here. They're beheading us. They're doing all of this to us. How dare you say this? So that's why I say they all present a threat. Find who makes you happy and stop painting everyone with a broad brush. That's that's all you can do. The
3: example you brought up about, you know, Mexican women being killed by Mexican men, I find, you know, if someone... if the culture is such right now that if i feel like if a mexican woman you know did an exposé or did a documentary or some kind of story about about this they'd be like i feel like you're spreading anti-mexican rhetoric okay like you know what i mean like it's just so it's just the deflection that's It's crazy to me. We just need to ignore men who do that. I saw a really interesting
0: thread too. And this is something we've learned from being on FDS is just how common the same narratives are between different cultures. So I saw an interesting thread about a lot of uh, Middle Eastern women who were talking about how basically a lot of these guys are if like if, if the guys on Reddit had any type of power in society right? Like they have the same kind of through line of this entitlement towards women. It's it's not really that different. It's just sometimes uh, they are able to seize more power, but that element of men exists everywhere. So like a lot of their logic is very, very similar to the things you'll read just about anywhere. Like misogyny is just so, it's just, you know, pervasive hatred of the female sex.
3: Yeah. I wanted to talk about the manosphere some more because Rosa, the the you brought up how the black manosphere is contributing to the specific devaluation of black women and we we just did an interview recently with Lundy bancroft and we talked about how um he talks about how abuse of women is pretty much entirely culturally trained men are raised to believe that they're entitled to certain emotional caretaking and so on sexual services from women and so on and if the woman does not comply that he has the right to use abuse uh, to punish her and we were talking about this and how the manosphere is basically a recruiting ground and a training ground for abusers. I consider the manosphere to be a really big part of how men are being socialized to devalue and mistreat women. So I, I wanted to talk about the black manosphere and your thoughts on that.
2: Yes, the black manosphere. I'm so glad you brought that up because yesterday L dot com published an article about the black manosphere. The writer of the article, she went ahead and talked about how she, she said after an ill-fated Zoom date, she wandered down an online rabbit hole into the hyper-masculine space for red-pilled Black men. If anyone wants to uh, read that article again, it's called My Brush with the Black Manosphere. It's on Elle.com. And it goes on to talk about how Black men have, gone back to this 1950s idea of how women should be. They feel that black women are responsible for all the wrongs that black men are going through in society, you know, right now. They feel that women, black women present more of a threat to them than supremacy. And the article does a wonderful, wonderful job of outlining just how dangerous and how vitriolic the rhetoric is with the Black Manosphere. Now, from my experience uh, prior to this article, I have been discussing how their rhetoric is very dangerous and it does talk about harming Black women and girls over a certain age, I believe the age was 12 or 15. And in fact, they had a specific age range, like black women and girls between maybe the ages of 15 to 40. So we're talking about maybe childbearing ages that um, if these women don't fall in line with what black men say, then they deserve to be harmed. They're telling other disenfranchised Black men to harm Black women and girls if they don't do what they want. They want Black women to give their all to them. It's so dark, the things that they say. They don't believe that Black women should talk about dating up or Dating someone within their own socioeconomic group, especially, you know, if uh, if there are black women who still date black men, but they'll say, Well, I'm only going to date a black man who makes a certain amount of money. They feel that that is harmful to black men and that harm should come to us for that. Harm should come to a black woman for wanting better, for choosing to date who she wants, for not accepting bull crap from a black man. I mean, it's just all the horrible things you can imagine. It's very disturbing. There have been uh, about two or three cases of women, black women, who have been murdered by men who were known to follow the black manosphere. I believe that uh, the black manosphere should be on the radar as a a hate group, the whole lot of them, because the rhetoric that they are putting out, if we say replaced black women with a specific sexual orientation, with a specific religion, they would be looked at as hate groups. But because they are targeting their vitriol and ire towards women within their own race, I honestly believe that's why they're not doing anything about this. But these men are very organized. They're very intentional. And they're pumping this rhetoric out constantly.
0: Just imagine if they focused all that dumbass energy into something productive. Like, that's what (laughs) kills me about this. It really honestly... (laughs) I don't know if it should be funny, but like this is just powerless loser rhetoric, right? Yep, like there's yep, just yep. so many other things they could be doing that would actually uh build quote unquote successful families. like nobody is coming up to you and like slapping books and papers and pencils out of your hand and pre- prohibiting you from going to school. I don't think any black women called your job and got you fired, right? Like all of this types of stuff we are saying that black women are holding you back. It's just like weird projection machinations of nothing. That I'm like this, this just, that's not an explanation for why your your life is the way it is.
1: Well, no, just to just wanted to add, just like I'm not a like cultural like, cultural relativist, but so the black community has like the Kevin Samuels hot up, you know, anti black woman community. The white people have like the incel neck beards that are all about like Becky Chads and Stacey's, and then like the Muslim community, we have like ISIS terrorists. It's like marry them four at a time, honor kill them. It's just like it is all inclusive being a shitty dude, and I just commend their unity in being assholes yes i also just want to emphasize for the listener that um like i I think i
3: said something in the twitter space that like oh you know the the manosphere is like a problem for women of all races i actually want to walk that back a little bit i think that uh the black manosphere specifically devalues and degrades black women in a way that i've not seen anywhere else like the white manosphere is pretty bad but like they'll be like oh, you know, American women or white women are too mouthy or they're too demanding or they're this and that. Um, But they don't, like... I I just feel like they don't fundamentally devalue... uh, I mean, they do do devalue women, but, like, it's way worse in the black manosphere. And there's a lot of rhetoric that... um, specifically supports, like, murdering pregnant women. A lot of the rhetoric around, like, child support or, you know, oh, baby's mom is just trying to ruin your life, trying to hold you back, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I really just want to emphasize how much worse it is there.
0: It's something called misogynoir, right? And so what I've noticed is that all of the racist stereotypes about Black men aren't true, but all of the racist stereotypes about Black women are true, according to them, right? So they basically just do a split, where they agree with everything racist that I, and there's times where I've I've seen on Twitter I'm like you know I honestly can't tell if a black manosphere person wrote this or somebody in the KKK it's that bad where they say things about black women that are so on their face racist that they they dehumanize black women to that extent and I think that is a function of having that of this is where the intersectionality comes in where they have misogyny, but then if you wrap that up in the popular racist rhetoric, it becomes like a really, really lethal for Black women and girls. Intersectional misogyny? Their misogyny is intersectional? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's what it is. It's just it's just taking existing racial stereotypes. Whereas I feel like for white women, perhaps there's not like a focused racism with it, but it's like they just decided, yeah, we're gonna agree with everything that like Stormfront is saying, but it's only true for black women, right? Like, and and in fact, you can see a lot of these guys. They'll invite these like red, these white red pillars, or these like racist white guys to like come on and just agree. They do with some of the shit.
1: Well, they target the white women by you know saying that they're cultural betrayers and. Dating dating Brown men and like diluting the race. So it's out. The rhetoric is out there. I think it's just a little bit more niche.
2: And I want to bring something up from the L article that is very unsettling with me. One of the manosphere influencers that they mentioned, I'm not going to say his name. I just want, I really want people to read this article. He's a tenured professor at the Ohio state university. What? Oh, my God. And I, I would like to know how does Ohio State University reconcile the fact that they have a tenured professor on their staff who is an influencer in the black manosphere? I believe that that is dangerous, that every black woman at that college is a target for this man's vitriol, and it says a lot about Ohio State University having a tenured professor who is an influencer in the black manosphere that's wild i didn't yeah I'll have
0: to read this um this article now but it, that doesn't surprise me because um well twofold so some of the extremists are very very good at finding positions of power and that's something that the FBI has been tracking with even right like really right-wing extremist gifts, but even uh, specific groups that hate women. Like the original red pill guy, I think, was a, a state congressperson, the guy who created the red pill. <sighs> That's the scary thing and something that we discussed with Lundy Brancroft is that these guys are very organized and they're very good at painting a victim narrative for men and then finding political pos- positions of power to push legislation that benefits them and attacks women. So I'm, I'm surprised, but also not surprised because of the fact that It's almost like their misogyny propels them to try to seek out these positions in the first place. In the
2: article, his name is laid, laid out there and you can Google him and you will see everything about him.
3: That's the kind of guy that deserves to be canceled, honestly.
2: If this was a woman, if this was a tenured woman professor who was putting out hate rhetoric against men, do you think she would still have that position?
1: Absolutely not. With the quickness. Oh, no way. There's
0: people that are being uh, kicked out right now for saying that males and females exist. So I I have no doubt that 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 would never fly. So um, to kind of pick up a conversation, I think we didn't actually answer when we were talking earlier about in light of all this. There's been a push from Black Lives Matter towards alternative forms of policing, including things like community policing and like a community mediation and then, quote unquote, abolishing the police. And I know we discussed this um, on the Twitter and I wanted to discuss it here about just how ineffective that might be when you have the people who are trying to seize control of the community, quote unquote, policing that are men who are misogynist. And that by only focusing what I said in the, in the Twitter space is that by only focusing on police violence against black men and then putting that as the singular face of Black Lives Matter, they're not really exploring and highlighting how poor policing isn't just a matter of murdering men, but a matter of not getting help to the entire community. Right, poor policing isn't just um, doesn't just affect black men, but it affects the like like you've you've said repeatedly it affects women who are being victimized ability to report. It affects people's uh, trust that they won't um, become you know, um, they won't have like drugs planted on them or something like that. You know, they won't end up being uh, targeted by the police for even making a port, much less the police not um, following up with it. So some of the discussion we had about like, some of the discussions going on right now with Black Lives Matter and them trying to find, you know, alternative ways of policing. I'll say I'm personally very concerned that they're going to come up with something that's worse because now you're going to have a bunch of like essentially hoteps or people who are even less qualified than the police are doing some kind of mediation or arbitration, which as we know, in uh, other places where we've seen them try to outsource some of the media and arbitration outside of the police has a lot of times become, has a lot of times come at the detriment of women, right? You know, them taking domestic violence even less seriously.
2: Well, my first thing is this, what has stopped them from community from policing their community ahead of the, all of this?
0: Nothing. Yeah. I don't know. Ooh, asking
2: all them questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could have been doing that this whole time. That's what I'm saying. If you didn't feel an obligation or duty to community police before these type of protests and things happen, then to me, you didn't feel any obligation to your community anyway. So you're going to tell me that we are to depend on people who weren't doing anything in the community beforehand. I just don't think that that's going to happen. When we talk about community policing, you know, there's this theory because uh, community policing and the defunding of the police has been a theory for decades. And still, nothing has came about. I'm 53. We were talking about community policing back in the 80s in college. Uh, And I'm sure even back in the 70s and 60s, they were talking about community policing. There has not really been any effective community policing. It still remains a theory. No one has an actual laid out concrete plan, so this is a fool's errand that people are trying to get others to follow. Then we talk about, uh, when they talk about community policing, one of the first line of defense that they want to use are social workers. Social workers are primarily made up of who? Women. So once again, you're putting women on the front lines to be harmed. There was a social worker in California a couple of weeks ago who was stabbed to death on the job. And other social workers came onto the post telling me that they are given exit strategies. When they're going into the community, like uh, to remove children from households or to make investigations, they're giving exit strategies like back in when you go to into a driveway. Don't go in forward back in so that you can make a quick getaway. I mean, foolish things like this is what social workers who are out there in the community. This is what they're being told. So if we're talking about community policing, social workers who are women are going to be on the front lines of disaster and they're going to be some of the first victims. I do not agree with community policing.
3: I'm glad you brought that up because um, a lot of things that I, I want to respond to. One is just sort of an anecdote. I, I'm very much against community policing, I get called like a carceral feminist (laughs) because of this. Um, the reason for that is because, um, when it comes to issues like femicide or domestic abuse, if the community is misogynistic, it's just going to end up being much, much worse for women. So my, my grandfather, for example, was an abusive alcoholic, and my grandmother, she's a very devout, very religious woman, um, whenever my grandfather would beat her black and blue, literally, she would go to her priest for help, and her priest would say something like, oh, um, you know, you, just, you should pray more, or you should be more godly, or you should do this or that, and the whole community is set up to protect abusive men and to blame the woman in that case, right? So, yeah, if the community sucks and treats women badly, I feel like, yeah, it's not going to help women at all. It's going to be worse.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like having wolves police themselves from eating chickens. Like, it would never work.
2: Right. Never. So, no, I don't agree with community policing. And my primary reason is because women will be collateral damage and they will be some of the first people harmed in this effort. Thank you. Well said.
0: So, um, is there anything you would like to plug or bring awareness to on this
3: podcast? Tell us about your march coming up. I want to know. Yeah.
2: Yes. Um, actually, um, the march has been moved up to August. I, I forget the actual date, but it's been moved to August because there was a conflict with another group that I'm not going to say. But I don't want to put women in harm's way. So to prevent that, it was moved up. Um, so the march is going to be held in August. It's going to be in Washington, D.C., And I hope to see people there. And if you can't come, please support us by talking to your local legislators, emailing them if you don't feel comfortable actually meeting with them, have the conversation about femicide, black femicide specifically, but femicide as a whole is something that the United States needs to reckon with and needs to recognize as an actual crime, an actual hate crime specific to women and girls. Thank you, Rosa. Oh, you're welcome.
0: Thanks so much. We'll drop Rosa's social media information in the show notes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Female Political and also support our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash female political strategy. Thanks for listening. Team Female. Next week.